Hi, and welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, which is a young adults ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. This week, Ben Fuquay will be wrapping up our Minor Prophet series with Malachi. We hope you enjoy. you guys tonight? I love it. I'm excited. Tonight is um, kind of bittersweet uh, just because we have been in a series um, kind of all semester for the most part, off and on uh, between a, uh, the Gospels Antidote series, which if y'all caught Ryan, he kind of tied that one up with um, a sermon last week on toxic emotions, which was unbelievable. If you have it, if you missed last week, man, I'd highly encourage you to podcast that sermon. It was um, really, really incredible. Uh, and then also another series that we've been kind of weaving throughout this of the minor prophets. Uh, and so we've been just spending time in them. And so if you're new to us, that's kind of where we've been here. Um, we really believe that uh, what happens, anything worth happening, anything that's actually going to produce life change and transformation, anything eternal isn't going to come from me or a bunch of musicians or good food. It's going to come from the word of God and the spirit of God taking the word of God uh, and applying it to our lives and our hearts in a way that um, sermons can't do and songs can't do. We need God's spirit. And so that's our hope for this series. And, and certainly tonight, as we wrap up this series uh, with the last minor prophet in the Old Testament, we're going to be in Malachi. So grab your Bibles. I'm not going to throw up uh, verses on the screen because I, uh, I want you to flip through it. I want you to read it. I want it to be in your hand. There's Bibles in, under all the seats. I think in the seat in front of you, you can sneak one of those Bibles out. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Um, it's page 801, I think, in the, in the Bibles underneath the seats. <clears throat> uh, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's going to do. This has been a really uh, sweet and challenging thing for me and my soul just to preach through these. Uh, here, here's what tonight's going to look like. I'm going to preach the four chapters of Malachi the best I can, and the Lord's going to do with it whatever he wants. But also, we're going to talk about just kind of where we're going as a ministry uh, tied to some of the application that we're going to see here. And so we just kind of want to unpack where we're going. This is going to be kind of the last renovate uh, of this, this style uh, for a little bit, because next week, like Robert um, and Brooke said, we're going to have worship in the round. And so come next week, we'll still do food and all that kind of stuff. But man, it's just going to be a night where we just worship Jesus through song. And then, like they said, we're going to, we're going to just spend the summer connecting, focusing and prioritizing on, man, just building community, connecting, connecting to people outside the walls of the church, inviting, hopefully inviting people who don't know Jesus, who would never want to come to a churchy thing on a Wednesday night to come and hang out at Joe T's with a bunch of people who love Jesus, but hopefully also love people, uh, or go to a Rangers game, or go bowling, or whatever it is that we're doing this summer. And so we really want to be intentional about our summer, man. We want it to be a time where you guys really do get connected uh, to each other, but also to where you're connecting with people who, uh, man, are outside the church, uh, as we're called to do. So, that's kind of what, what the night's going to look like. We're going to talk about this book. We're going to unpack it. And then we're going to talk about, man, just where we're going as a, as a ministry. So <clears throat> let me set up the context. The context of Malachi. So if you've been tracking it all in this series, um, a lot of the prophets are on the front end of the Jewish people before they get invaded by Assyria and Babylon. And, and at some point, they get invaded by Assyria and Babylon because of their disobedience. Because on the front end, the prophets are saying, hey, guys, you are walking in blatant disobedience to what God has called you to. So turn and turn towards the Lord and repent. 
and then you see God's discipline, and then they go into exile, and then they come out of exile. And so the last few books, books we've been in have been when the Jewish people, when the Israelites have left the exile of Babylon, and they've gotten to return to their land, and they've gotten to rebuild the temple. And so Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, they have already rebuilt the temple, and it's probably been built for about 100 years at this point. And so the people have not only been back from their exile, but they've been back from their exile for a generation or two or three, and they have rebuilt the temple, and that's what's happening. And when people returned, when the Jewish people returned from their exile, they were excited to go home. They had finally returned. They had been pulled away. They had been in captivity in a foreign country. Man, we get to go home. We get to worship our God. We get to be in our own land. And the hopes were super high. And here we go. This is great. We're finally going to be the people that God has set us out to be. We know our history. We know our forefathers. We know what God plucked us from and what his design and desire is for us. Man, it's time. We've gone through this season of, of wandering and a season of disobedience. God has disciplined us. And man, we're ready to come back and be God's people. This series we've titled To Wander and Return because so many of these books, and certainly the theme of tonight's book, is wandering and returning. Wandering from where God calls us to, where life is and where life abundant is. We wander from that and then we're called to return to what is good because we wander to things that are far less. And so that's the scene for Malachi. The hopes are high, but the reality of the context of what's happening is there is apathy throughout hey, we're going to go back and we're going to be the people that God wants us to be and we're finally going to get everything together and we're going to be obedient. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to finally live up to the sonship and daughtership that we've been given as God's chosen people. And then they don't. And then they're apathetic and they put God on the back burner. And so this is yet a book, uh, again, where God says, come back to me. Come back to me. And so what we're going to see, we're just going to Bible study this thing, we're going to see five call-outs. So I'm just going to unpack and show you these, these passages of where God calls out. And I think this image that is in my mind when it comes to this book, this idea of wandering and returning, it's an image I think of a lot when I think about my own soul and what I do, how I wander and I choose what is less good. And if you've hung out with me for any number of time, you've heard this illustration, um, but it's just something that, that sticks in my head. Uh, when I was dating Danielle, she went to A&M, and so I would drive down to... Uh, I walked into that one. I unintentionally walked into that one. I deserve that. Sorry. <clears throat> I was dating Danielle at said college, and, uh, and she would, uh, and so when I would go down there to, to date her, um, I would stay with a buddy of mine, and a, this buddy of mine had this dog, a black lab, and uh, it was, the dog's name was Brock, and it was the dumbest dog ever. It was the stupidest dog I have ever met or seen in my entire life. Just, just dumb, just really dumb. And, uh, and it did all kinds of just dumb stuff, and I, it, I, I died somehow by doing something dumb. Sorry if you're a dog lover, it, but it, it deserved it. It deserved it. <laughs> um, it's in dog heaven. It's fine. Please don't email me upset. Here's the thing. Here's one of the things the dog would do, though. And this honestly was always stuck. This is, this, I think of my own, like, I think of my own foolishness. Uh, when I think about what Brock would do, but Brock would run and chase squirrels and all that kind of stuff in the backyard and just be a dog, be a normal dog. And he would come in and he would always, always, always drink from the toilet bowl. 
That was always his thing. And he wouldn't, there was something wrong with him where he would not drink from water bowls. And so you would put out fresh bowls of water and my buddy Brian, who owned the dog, would have these big bowls of water for Brock and Brock just would run right past them and run through the living room and down the hallway and push open the bathroom door and drink out of a toilet that was a bunch of college guys' toilet, right? Yes, I know, I know, yes. And, and every time, and that was just its thing. It just always drank from that. And I always remember that and I always think of that illustration uh, when I think about just this concept, and even, honestly, when I think about my wandering, I, I go and I choose these things that are far less than. I go and I choose to step into things that I know are not what God has for me, and I know what he has for me is good, and I know what he has for me is trustworthy, and yet so often we wander to these things um, that, that, that bring death, that don't bring life, that do not give us the life abundant that God desires for us to have. And so that just becomes this illustration for me uh, when I think about this series, but certainly when I think about this book, because here God's people, again, are running right past what God's design for them is to go and drink from something far less than. Uh, and, uh, and so God calls them out. There's five big themes in the first three chapters of where he calls them out. And so we're going to look at those, and then we're going to apply this to our life, and then the Holy Spirit is going to do whatever he wants to do. <clears throat> okay, so the first one is this. Uh, it's, uh, it's in chapter 1. I want you, I'll, I'll read this over you, but I want you to look at chapter 1. We'll just look at the first um, few verses, um, in, uh, and I'll read it to you, and then we'll, we'll look at it. Starting in, I'll just read verse 2 and verse 3 to you. This is what the Lord says. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say... How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Here's, what, here's how the Israelites get called out. They get called out because they are forgetting that they are loved. I love the way that Malachi starts. There's going to be these five ways that like, yep, they're wrong. They're in the wrong here. They're in the wrong here. But I love that Malachi starts with God calling his people out, saying, you are loved and you forget it. You keep forgetting how loved you are by me. And so that's what he's saying here. He says explicitly, you are loved. And you say, how? I don't feel loved. I don't, the, the people in the Israelites are saying, I don't feel loved. I don't think you're loved. And here in the context, he's saying, remember Jacob and Esau? And so what he's doing is he's pointing them back to their history. And he's pointing them back to, look at how I have loved you in your past, Look at your story. Look at what I've saved you from. And so uh, if, if it's foggy, and it's foggy for a lot of us, Jacob and Esau were these two brothers. And these two brothers came out, and Jacob was the one that God said, yes, this is the one that I'm choosing. This is going to be the line of the Israelites. Jacob will be the father, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob is going to be in the line of the descendants that I will call the Israelites who will worship my name, who will represent me in the Old Testament to be my people uh, and so it's Jacob. And Esau wasn't the one chosen. And Esau became the, the, the father of the Edomites, who we actually see the Edomites show up several times in the Minor Prophets and throughout church history. And they become pretty wicked people. And the descendants of Esau become pretty wicked people, pretty bitter people towards the Israelites. They become enemies of the Israelites later uh, when they become two large nations. And God wipes them out. And God disciplines them. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you are getting called out because you are forgetting that I love you. Like, how, do we lo how do you love me? And he says, look at your history. Was it not you that I picked? 
Was it, not, was it not Jacob? You were the people of Jacob. Was it not your people, your line? I loved you. I chose you. Look at, the, look at Esau. Look at the Edomites. Look at where they are. They're, they're, they live in a wasteland now. You are who I love. The Israelites totally lost sight. Their, their first and major call out from God in the final prophetic book from the minor prophets is you have forgotten that you are loved. Jacob's people were selected, they were known, they were wanted by God, and they forgot that. Look at the second call out. He calls them out on their lazy sacrifices. Um, their lazy sacrifices. This is uh, verses six through about the middle of chapter two. Um, this whole section, God just unpacks, man, your sacrifices are lazy. Let me, let me read you verses six, seven, and eight. This is what it says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifice is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Here's what's happening, guys. There was a sacrificial system in the Old Testament time where this is how God created to interact with his people. Church, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We are saved by grace through faith. And so it is the grace of God that saves us, not our works, not doing the right thing, not being religious enough, by grace through faith. Um, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the, that is the, the point and the, the, where we look to put our faith on because he was the righteous, holy son of God who took our sins. Before Jesus in the Old Testament, they were saved by grace through faith. But they were saved by grace through faith in a Messiah yet to come. And so the sacrificial system was this thing that the Jewish people did in order to show their faith. They would sacrifice these animals and they would go through this whole system that was a system to remind them of they can't do it on their own. They need a savior. They need a sacrificial lamb. They need their sins to be dealt with. And so they did these things in order to show their faith to say, Lord, we trust that one day you will completely wipe out our sins. And until that day, we will sacrifice these animals and do these specific rituals in order to put our faith and show you that we believe one day there will be a lamb that will pay for the sins of the entire world. And one day you will provide that Messiah. And until then, we're going to do this. And so that was the idea of the sacrificial system. It was still pointing to Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice. But before Jesus was there and, and did what he did on Calvary, that's what they did. Here's what he's saying. God's saying, you're supposed to bring your best. Like, you know that. Like, the priests know that. And yet what they were doing was they were, bringing, they were bringing my buddy's dog, right? They were bringing Brock's, right? They were bringing just lame animals and, and sick animals and blind animals. And it was like, honestly, the sheep's about to die anyway, so let's just sacrifice this sheep because it's going to die anyway. And so what that's communicating is the sacrifices were just, they're going through the motions. Oh, yeah, I got I to gotta make a sacrifice. It wasn't an act of faith. It wasn't a, Lord, you are good. You are worthy. We need you. You are the one who has to show us grace. And so I'm going to take the lamb that you've selected, and I'm going to sacrifice it up as an offering to you. It wasn't that. They get called out on it. They get called out on it. Third thing they get called out on 
is their adultery. Um, this is really through uh, this next section. It's through the rest of uh, chapter 2 here. Let me read just a little bit of what I mean when I say their adultery. <clears throat> Man, it's all so good. Okay, I'm going to read a big chunk. You guys, you guys can handle that, right? I'm going to start in verse 10. <clears throat> Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. He's talking about idols here and worshiping in the temple gods that are not uh, our god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, kind of tied to this idolatry idea, is this. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in the spirit and let no, none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says to the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Third big call out. Uh, and this is, this is kind of a, a part A and a part B for this. God calls them out for their idolatry. He calls them out for their idolatry in their relationship with him in regards to the temple and their choosing other gods and they are leaving the God of their youth. But then he also simultaneously is calling them out for actual adultery. In this time, they were leaving their wives because all of a sudden they had come back to this land and they had gotten comfortable and they started finding other women in the surrounding areas. And so they started leaving their wives and going to these other foreign wives to marry them who worshiped other gods and bringing those gods into their faith as well. And so they had started to pollute that. And so God says, what are you doing? You have been made one with this woman and now you are going away. You're being faithless to the woman who you have made a covenant to and you're being faithless to me, who you have made a covenant to. So he says, do not divorce the wife of your youth. Stay focused. So that's the, the third call out. Let me look at the fourth call out. Let me, let me get through these and then we'll figure out how they apply to us. The fourth is their grumbling hearts. So he calls them out on adultery all the way uh, to the, close to the end of chapter two. But then he shifts gears and he starts to talk about their heart and the grumbling of their heart. Look at verse 17. God says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? So here, here we have God saying, hey, you're wearying me with your words. You are ch chatting a lot, chatting a lot. They're saying, well, how? how? I don't understand. He says, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Here's what's happening. <clears throat> in, this, in this passage, in this section, it goes all the way through verse 5 of chapter 3. God says, look at your hearts. Look at how grumbling you are. And how, what, what are you talking about? What's wrong with what we're doing? He says, every time you say, look at all those people and what all they have. 
Look at all, all they have, man. I guess, it, I guess it pays to not follow God. I guess it pays to be evil because you seem to be blessing evil people, right? They're being snide and sarcastic with the God of the universe, saying things like, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, right? Like they're being sarcastic. They're throwing back these accusations to God to say, well, I guess it pays to not follow the Lord because look at these guys. The Lord seems to bless them and they're not doing the right thing, right? With this grumbling heart, saying things like, where is the God of justice? A complaining and a comparison to those people over there and what they get and those people over there and what they seem to be benefiting from. Man, where is God? Where's the God of justice for us? A grumbling heart in God's people that he calls them out all the way through verse five in chapter three. And so then look at this, this last kind of final call out before we get to chapter four. Um, and again, I'm just giving you this flyby overview. There is a faithless hoarding that's happening in the culture. Uh, read with me verses six through 10 in chapter three. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. <clears throat> um, God's saying, hey, you are hoarding up your own tithes. There's a faithlessness in your tithing. Tithing is this idea of, hey, in, in specifically in the Old Testament time, they were commanded, hey, give 10%, man. If you're a, a farmer, take 10% of your crops and give it to the temple. Give it to the church for the church to distribute and for the church to be able to do the work of the ministry the church is supposed to do. If you're, whatever it is that you do, you tithe, you take away that 10% and you give it to the Lord and you give it to the temple. It's one of the things that they weren't doing. And the reality of tithing, it, it, it isn't about uh, money, Right? It's not about money with the Lord. It is about faith. It's about this idea of, man, do I trust the Lord? Man, 10% is 10 a big chunk. Do I trust the Lord enough to take this and set it aside? And farmers and ranchers and, and people who worked in the marketplace in Israel, I mean, they would have been thinking, man, this is 10%. I mean, I'm just barely getting by. I could do a lot with this 10%. This 10% could really help me move forward. So maybe I'll just give one or two or three or four whatever it is, but he says in Malachi, you are not, you're not bringing it. You're not being faithful. And that comes down to a lack of faith. You don't trust that I will provide for you. You think that you have to provide everything for yourself, that this has to be your thing, that you're in control and you don't know that I am in control, God says. And so tithe, be obedient to what I've called you to do. Trust me that I will provide. He says here, man, do what you said you were going to do and Test me and watch me bless you. But they didn't have the faith to do that. And they were hoarding and they were keeping to themselves and they weren't giving to the poor and they weren't giving to the temple and they weren't giving to the, that kingdom cause that God had set up uh, through, uh, through the temple system. So this is, this, is where, this is where they go. So throughout this book, I want you guys to see, man, this is what's happening. It's these five call-outs. It's just a... Beating. It's just, hey, Israelites, 
You're out of bounds. Hey, you're out of bounds. You're out of bounds. You're out of bounds. You're out of bounds. Return to me. Return to me. Return to me. You've wandered. You've wandered. You've wandered. Return to me. And so this, that's what the book does. And then, and then we get this really cool glimmer of hope. And we see this picture of people who get it. So I want to I read, and, and we'll throw up on the screen here in a second, kind of these characteristics of, man, there is a remnant of people who, even here in Israel, who get it, even in that time. They get it, and they're doing it, and they're following the Lord. And then we see that real clearly in Malachi chapter 3, uh, 16 through 18. And here's what, here's what those verses say. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own, spares his son who, who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. <clears throat> Uh, I love this because we really see this distinction between what it looks like. In these verses, right, in verse 16, 7, and 18, we see, and I mean, you got three chapters of, golly, this is, this is drudgery, man. This is, this is really a lot of just condemnation of mistakes and mistakes and mistakes. And then you see, man, these people get it. And I want to real quickly unpack just real briefly, and this is what they were doing. I want us to paint that picture of what they were doing and what that characteristic was. And then this evening, I just want us to walk back through and say, man, is this us? And ask the Holy Spirit, walk us back through these five calls. Say, man, is this us? Is this us? Is this us? And then, uh, and then, and then let the Lord do whatever he wants to do. <clears throat> they feared the Lord, right? A characteristic of, of these people is they feared the Lord, right? Those who feared the Lord, they, they respected the Lord more than they feared being broke, more than they feared their own lack of control, more than they feared uh, whatever else it was, more than they feared their enemies, they feared the Lord. That was a, a specifically distinct thing about them. Also, they remembered his promises. These people were people who remembered God's promises. They made this book of remembrance. It was a people who could look back and say, I know who you are. I know what you did, God. I haven't forgotten who you are and the character of who you are and what you've done and how you picked Jacob and not Esau and how you selected and saw and chose us. We feared you, we remembered you, and because of that, there was this distinct righteousness about them. Um, it says right there that he makes them his treasured possessions and he will spare them as a man spares his own son. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who, and this is the last characteristic, is who serves God and the one who doesn't serve God. Uh, these people, the, the remnant, the people that God then spends all of chapter 4 praising and saying, look at what is going to be their reward. And then chapter 4, he goes on to say, man, but you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Chapter 4 is this, this, this excited proclamation of look what I'm going to do in the end. Look how I'm going to bless you. Look at what is going to be the fruit of your life for those people who fear the Lord who remember his promises, who set themselves apart to be distinctly righteous and who serve God. We wander, but we are called to return to that kind of lifestyle. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to walk back through those five call-outs, and I want you to talk to the Lord. I don't know. I don't, that's between you and the Lord to say, Lord, are there, is there wandering? Is this, is this something that I'm doing? Is this something that 
a book that was written 2,500 years ago through a prophet who God was speaking to, unbelievably relevant today. Man, are these things that I'm struggling with? Are these things that I'm wandering into? And so we're just going to walk systematically back through them. The first one is faithless hoarding. Man, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? How do you see and spend your relationships Right? When you see the relationships in your life, are those relationships about you and self-serving? Is your time 100% for you self-serving? Is your money 100% for you and for your empire and for your betterment? Talk to the Lord about that. Ask the Lord tonight, man, what is that there? Is there a faithless hoarding? Is there a lack of trust to say, God, I don't want to, get, I don't want to give you this. I'd rather have it in my bank account. I'd rather have it in my schedule, in my calendar. I, I, I don't want to give you part of me. Talk to the Lord, man. Grumbling hearts. Is that something that the Lord tonight lovingly and graciously, because he cares about you enough to show you an area where he says, hey, walk back to me on this. You find the Lord telling you, hey, there's some grumbling heart there. Comparison. When you look around, when you see other people and how they get blessed, and when you see other people living lives, maybe you're trying to live a life that's like, man, I want to, maybe you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to live the, the life that you know God's called you to live, and you feel like people who just don't care at all about following Christ in any way, or just feel like they're just lapping you, lapping you in relationships, lapping you in work, and you're just like, what in the world, man? I'm doing this right. Where is the God of justice? How does that guy get that? And how does that girl get that? What about me? Man, is there grumbling in your heart that the Lord graciously is saying, hey, turn from that. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Is there adultery in your life? Um, I think it's pretty explicit for married couples in the room. I think we also see in Matthew when Jesus flips adultery on, our heart, in our, on its head and he says, hey, it's not just if you're sleeping with somebody, it's if you're lusting after them. So if you're lusting after them, then, you, then you're, you're committing adultery in your heart. So Jesus changes the game of how we can categorize and protect ourselves. Like, no, no, I would never do that. And so for my brothers and sisters who are married, it's, man, where are your eyes? Where is your heart? Where's your focus? Is it on the wife of your youth? Is it on the wife or the husband that God's given you? And then for everyone else in this room, man, are we committing adultery? Where are our eyes? Where is your focus? Not being in a committed relationship doesn't give us license to lust in a way that Jesus says, man, that's adultery because that's not what I've called you to. And if it only stopped there, that'd be one thing and that'd be plenty of conviction for me, but then he goes further and he says, man, just idol worship. What are the things that you're worshiping? What are the things that you're, not just in how you might be committing adultery in your heart and eyes and mind and body, but also just in your heart towards me, are you committing adultery? And are there idols in our life? And by that, are there things that we're finding our satisfaction in? Finding our worship and satisfaction in other than the God of our, of our faith, man. Other than Christ, are there things that you find your satisfaction from? 
I am a pastor at a church. Like my job is like to not sin kind of and then to get up here and ramble about books of the Bible. Like that's what I get paid to do. And I can ramble about books of the Bible, but I have not been able to stop sinning yet. I'm working on it. Maybe by next week. Man, we are so prone to wander, man. I'm so prone to find other things to find my satisfaction in. I know God is the real, fresh, living water, but I keep running to the toilet. I keep going to things that are not what he's called me to. I keep running to those things that are less than to find my satisfaction. Man, one of the biggest things for me, and I, I, am, I hesitate to share my struggles because I know everyone's struggles are different, and I, I don't want to put that in a box because I want you to do business with the Lord, and I want the Holy Spirit to poke on you and not just use my examples. But man, for me, I care more about what other people think than I do with the God of the universe thinks. And it's this constant struggle of sin that, man, I'll find my satisfaction and I'll find my worship and I'll find my identity and what other people think. Man, what a room of people thinks of me is way more sinful worship, idol worship, than, man, me on my face in the morning in the word of God with me and Jesus. And my heart is immature in some of those areas and I have to keep identifying that and confessing it and turning from it and identifying it and confessing and turning from it because I know that that is empty. I like you people, but your affirmation is empty. It's empty and it's fleeting. And what's that look like in your life? Where do you find satisfaction? Ask, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit tonight while I'm preaching, ask him, Lord, where else am I finding satisfaction? What do what some of these areas of adultery look like, this idol worship look like? Also, are there lazy sacrifices in your life? Ask the Lord, Lord, where? What, is my, what am I sacrificing? Am I giving you my best? Am I serving you? Am I giving you my best? In my devotion, in my life, have I prioritized you? The Israelites were bringing just the lazy sacrifices. Man, are you going through the rituals because you know you're supposed to do that? And do we sit and sing songs because we're supposed to and we sing the two songs and but is our heart really, are we really coming to the altar of the Lord or is this, okay, we're checking the box again? Ask the Lord, where is that in your life? And then, and then lastly, I love how he starts the book and we're going to end it with this. Um, forgetting that they're loved. Man, they're called out for that. Is the Holy Spirit calling you out tonight? for forgetting that you are loved. The God of the universe, your Father in heaven, if you are in Christ, who says you are mine, you are my son, you are my daughter, no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have wandered, you are my son, nothing changes that, you are my daughter, nothing changes that, nothing can stain what I say is white, the Lord says. I will make what is red as crimson, white as snow. I will make it a new creation. I will restore. I will renew. That's who I am. God says, have you forgotten how I love you? So talk to the Lord tonight. Have you forgotten how much he loves you? Jacob was selected by God. He was known by God. He was wanted by God. When you think about how you are loved by God, do you feel chosen and wanted and selected because his word says that you are before the foundations of the earth? 
not because of what you did, not because you're good enough, not because you're starting to get your life back on track, but because of who God was in his graciousness. If you're hearing this right now, the grace of God extends to you. The power of the grace of Jesus Christ is for you. And he says, you are mine. Come back to me. Why do you forget how much I love you? Think back about the ways he has loved you. Look at your life and turn your heart to worship as you think of all the ways God has loved you. Not just things he's done, not just things he's given you. Work your way. If, if you're having a hard time with that, work your way back to the cross where the God of the universe did not spare his own son but offered him so that you might be adopted. Think at the cross 2,000 years ago, our Savior hung on a cross and died because your heavenly father says, that's my girl, that's my guy. Come back to me. Don't forget how much I love you. Where are you at with that tonight? I hope, man, I hope the Holy Spirit calls you out on that. And you're like, man, I don't believe. I, have, I wrestle with unbelief. Help my unbelief. You love me? You really love me that much? Then when we go back into a time of worship, don't. Don't sing songs, man. Don't sing songs. Mitchell and Brett, they don't care about you singing songs, man. Worship. If worship for you looks like sitting down and hearing lyrics sung over you and affirming those things and talking to the Lord, great. If it looks like raising your hands, if it looks like dancing in the back, if it looks like singing songs, but not just to sing songs, but because that's the position of your heart and you're talking to the Lord, you're talking to the Lord as you read lyrics off a screen, but it's literally this is my prayer for you. Help my heart believe this, believe this, believe this. When we respond and when we hear that, when we see this God calling us out because he loves us, because I don't want to be far off, because I'm tired of being far off, because I don't want you to be far off from him. I want you to return, because to return is to be with the Lord, and that's where you're designed to be, and that's what he's called you to be. That's what we want. That's what we want as a ministry here. We don't exist to put on a Wednesday night performance or a show we exist because we want to be a community of people walking together in that direction, reminding each other of how we're loved, reminding each other how good God is, walking together, man. That's where we're going as a ministry. Uh, that's what the summer is about. Man, this summer is going to be about, man, let's, let's invite other people into this. Don't just show up to social events on a Wednesday night. Fight for more than that. And invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Connect with somebody that you don't know. And if you, so if you're not connected um, in this community, if you're not connected um, at this church, man, get connected. Get connected. Worship Jesus with us on Sunday if you're not plugged in here. Walk into this room at 11 o'clock and worship Christ, a risen Lord. Get known by other people who know what you're struggling with, who know how imperfect you are, that they can show you the love of Christ, man. Get connected. Fill out a connect card. Go to... Women's ministry has all kinds of things. They do these lunches where you get to hear testimonies of women whose lives have been radically transformed. Show up to one of those lunches and sit around the table with other women who love Jesus and are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Get connected. And if you're already connected and you're like, yeah, I feel known, I feel I'm around, then man, serve. Then go deeper. Get plugged into a home group. If if you're in a home group that isn't going deep, then go get plugged into a deeper home group or go to your leader and say, hey man, I really feel this burden on my heart. That's the first step. 
hey, man, I, I really would love to do, do this. And what if, we, what if we got more vulnerable? Or what if we dug in a little deeper? Or what if we, whatever that looks like, fight for that. Uh, man, come and, and walk alongside us this next year. And we've talked about it a good amount. Um, but this next year, Danielle and I are just going to open up our home. And we, wanna, we want to know the people who are in leadership. And by leadership, we just mean we want to know the people who are trying to make disciples, who want that, who want to live their life on mission and on purpose, who want to be that remnant of people who are fearing the Lord and worshiping him and trying in the midst of our imperfection to set ourselves apart. And so in the fall, starting the end of August, every other Sunday, we're just going to eat dinner together and worship Jesus and talk about what that discipleship process looks like and talk about our city and talk about where revival is happening and talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing and talk about how we might reflect him more and more and more. And so, man, come be a part of that. You can, I don't know how you do it. You go to the info board and text a number and talk to us about that. Don't, don't, don't try to shift into neutral. It doesn't work that way. We are either walking towards the Lord or we're walking away. And one of the biggest lies that I think the enemy tricks us in is there's a neutral. There is no neutral. We are either killing sin in our life and growing in holiness or we are not. And it, like cancer, is creeping up on us. And so if you think you're in neutral, if you think your spiritual life is plateaued, brother, sister, you are deceived. Somewhere in there, the enemy is hardening your heart and there's weeds growing that you don't see. There is no neutral. Fight radically be the people that God has called us to be by his grace and know all the while that he loves you. As you stumble your way, as I stumble my way through this calling, he loves me despite my imperfections, despite how short I come. He loves me and that never changes. Let me pray over you. Father, would you do this work tonight? Would you and your Holy Spirit uh, show us, God, Thank you for Malachi. Thank you for a book that's written 2,400 years ago. And the relevance of your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, reveal it to us. Show us some of those areas that we have wandered into. Uh, call us out, God. You are good. You're gracious. And we know it. Tonight, uh, would we do business with you? Would we reflect you? And most of all, God, would we see and experience your love, a love that was perfectly shown to us by Jesus Christ dying on a cross, taking upon our sin, all of our sin, no matter how deep, no matter how gnarly, no matter how um, much, the power of the cross was that powerful so that I might now have grace in my life, so that I might now be able to approach you in worship, approach you as my father, Approach the altar of the God of the universe. Thank you for that, Father. That is love, and it is perfectly shown for us in the gospel. I want to see it more. I want to see it deeper. We want to see it more. We want to see it deeper. Show us the shallow parts of our hearts in which we wander and dig them deeper. In the name of Jesus, amen. Man, what a great God we serve, that even in his infinite power, he still wants us to take part in what he is doing. He calls us to join him, to step in and serve alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ as we follow him and grow in our faith. It can be tough to know where to get started though, not knowing how to serve or where, or if there are others around you who you can serve with. So if you are in Fort Worth, come join us as we seek to serve God in our city. 
And if you live elsewhere and are looking for those ways to take that next step, reach out to us and we will help you find a church or a community or any way where you can connect, serve, and grow with Christians around you. You can reach us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw, and we will be happy to talk with you. We're so glad you joined us this week. We'll see you again soon.